Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Hallelujah. Jesus, we honor you. We have come today to meet with you. And precious Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come now. Welcome you to come in a special way. I pray that you come and, and um, hover over us, rest on each and every person, Lord. And I pray that you touch every hungry heart. Touch every hungry heart. May we feel like this time is just a time that we're shut in with the Lord. May we be shut in it with the Lord. And may we, may, may you, Holy Spirit, may you bring glory to Jesus through this time. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is At His Feet. At Jesus' Feet. And um, we're going to look at the, the character in the Bible called Mary of Bethany. And um, she can be found in quite a few places. She's in. So if you'd like to turn to Luke 10 in your Bibles, Luke 10 verses 38 to 42. She's also found in John 11, um, and then Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12. We're not going to, we're only going to look and read Luke 10, but I just want you to be aware she's, she's all over the place, really. And I want to think this morning in terms of our relationship and our service to Jesus, what do we consider that how do we consider that to be successful? How are we doing in our walk with the Lord? And what does heaven think? What does Jesus think is a successful walk with him? So let's read from Luke 10. So it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answers, Mary, Mary, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So here we have this scene. Jesus is there, and it's a busy, it would have been a busy home. You know, Jesus, he had 12 disciples, didn't he? So they, pro- they would have probably come with him, and more people followed him wherever he went, And so Martha's house was probably a very busy place. Lots of commotion going on. And a lot of, uh, you know, and Martha's critical voice coming into the mix. But Mary, she's sat at the Lord's feet. She only has eyes for Jesus. She blocks everything else out. And by by the way she acts, not anything she says, but just by the way she acts, she shows everybody else in the house, how worthy Jesus is. Not by saying anything, but just demonstrating by her actions. Nothing distracts her. And she's saying, Jesus is worth everything. And then we have Martha. And so often, us, if we're honest, You know, she, in this story, she's finding her worth in activity. She's busy. She's doing everything. And you know, poor Martha, she gets a a bad deal really, doesn't she? Because she's opening our home to Jesus. She's, she's being hospitable. You know, we're, we're told in Romans, practice hospitality. She's doing the things that she should be doing. And yet, it doesn't go well for her. And, but before we find, before we feel too sorry for, Ma- for Martha, sorry, we have to remember that Jesus 
is looking for Mary's. And her gift of hospitality took her out of Jesus' presence and away from his word. And how often can that happen to us? We get so busy in, in this, in 2022, life just is so busy. And how often can we make those excuses? Oh, I've got too much to do just to sit in Jesus' presence. I've got too much to do just to spend time with him. I can't do that. But here we have Martha's voice coming. She's worried. She's judgmental. She's critical. She's upset. And she shows to other people in her, in that house by her actions and her words, that she doesn't understand the significance of having the Lord in her home. We don't remember what Martha cooked. We don't know what was on the menu. But we do remember, we do know that Jesus said that Mary did the one thing that was needed. I'm sure everyone was hungry. I'm sure everyone wanted to be fed. But Jesus, whose food is to do the will of the Father, would commended Mary. He was pleased with her. But it's so hard for us to get our head around all of this because it's countercultural. We have our value from what we do. That's how we live. You know, if you do well in your exams in school, you get, you know, your, your parents are happy. If you, and then you go on to get a great job. And, you know, whenever you do something good, it's always commended. And, and of course, that's, that's the right way. But in the kingdom of God, things go topsy-turvy. And it's just the other way around. But if we just read the first couple of lines of this, and we saw that Jesus was coming, Martha opened our home to Jesus, she, cooked, she prepared a meal. She was hospitable to him. And then and Mary just sat at Jesus' feet. We think, wow, Martha's fantastic. How, how wonderful she is. And Mary, well, she's just lazy. Why isn't she getting on with something? But that's not the way that Jesus saw this. And we must learn to find our identity in him and not in what we do for him. So that's in Martha's home. Then, then the, the next story where we find M- Mary and Martha again is where, at the tomb of Lazarus. So Jesus has heard he's been called um, because his good friend Lazarus is, is dying. He decides to let him die. And then he arrives four days later where Lazarus is really very dead. <laughs> And Jesus encounters both sisters. First, Martha comes. She's busy again. She's running to meet Jesus. And and they, both sisters say the same words to Jesus. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The pain of that, can you imagine knowing that Jesus could have healed him? And he didn't come on time. So these sisters, they were both in pain. And Martha, you know, she actually has great theology. She's, she believes that, that Lazarus will rise on the last day. So we've got to give credit where credit's due to, to, to Martha. But then we hear Jesus is asking for Mary. Jesus wants to know how his wonderful friend Mary is doing. And she, so Martha goes to Mary and says, the teacher's asking for you. How wonderful, wouldn't we all like to hear? Oh, Jesus is asking for us. He wants to know how we're doing. And so Mary goes off to find Jesus. And she's hurt as well. She's in pain. Oh, Lord, if you'd just been here. But before she utters those words, she falls at his feet. And then she says those words. Lord, If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But again, she indicates who he is by her actions. Not by what she says, but by her actions as she falls to his feet. And she says by doing that, I know that you 
are the Lord. And I'm not going to question you and I'm not going to tell you what to do. You are in control and you, you are Lord. And Mary, I believe that Mary moved Jesus to tears with her grief. She's there with all the, all the pain that she has. And it says that Jesus was moved to tears. Have you ever been with a good friend and they're, they're sad, they're grieving for some reason and you, and it touches your heart and you weep with them? That's what happened to Jesus here. Mary, he loved Mary so much that he was moved to tears. And I just think that that's beautiful. And I, I just feel the Lord wants to say to you, if you're in pain here today, you're not alone. You know, when things hurt us, we live in union with Jesus. We are one with him. And so when we suffer with, in pain, then he also weeps. He, is all, he also grieves with us. And so I just pray that you'd be encouraged by that today. And then finally, we find Mary and Martha again um, in Simon the leper's house. In This is in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12, all slightly different versions of the same story. But here, we're very close to Jesus' death. Jesus going, is, is very shortly going to go to the cross. And they go to Simon the leper's house, and I... I just thought about this this week, or I read something about it this week. Simon the leper, and uh, it, they went to his house. So this must have been a man that was cleansed by Jesus, healed by Jesus. Otherwise, nobody would be going anywhere near his house, and he probably wouldn't even have a house. He would probably be in a leper colony. So isn't that a lovely thought? Simon the leper it was able to invite. He'd been an outcast, and now because Jesus had touched him, was able to invite everybody into his home. There we see Martha's still serving. She's still busy. She hasn't broken out of the mold yet. She's still, still at it. And, um, and here we see is the, is the scene where the woman anoints Jesus before his burial. And here it's Mary. She pours out something precious on Jesus. She brings with her, because she's not in her own home, she brings with her a pint of pure nard. And the Bible says that this is worth a year's wages. And yesterday I looked up what the average um, UK salary is. A year's wages. So it says currently 38,000. I thought it was a bit high, but anyway. <laughs> Can you imagine having a perfume that's worth 38,000 pounds? I don't know about you, but my perfume, my most expensive perfume, I guess, might be about 100 pounds. I don't know. <laughs> but 38,000 pounds worth of perfume. That's amazing. And it was, it was, um, imported for the, from the Indian mountains. That's why it was so expensive, worth so much. And this, and this was probably Mary's dowry. So, cause why, why else would she have something that was worth so much? So it's probably her future. And she breaks it and she pours it all out over Jesus, all of it. She didn't save any of it. It says that she poured it all out over the master. And in doing that, she gave up her future to worship him. Because if she didn't have a dowry, she had no guarantee that she would get married. That's what you had to do in those days. You had to give a dowry but she, for, for her, for her, Jesus was more important than her future. Worshipping Jesus was more important than her future. And it says that she wiped his 
feet with her hair. And in those days, only certain women women let their hair down. Sinful women, women let their hair down. But she broke out of societal norms because of her love for Jesus. She wiped the perfume off with her hair. And here, Mary prepares an eternal feast. You know, in the next few days, this was a week before, during the week before Jesus went to the cross. During that week, he would have gone to Gethsemane. And I wonder if, you know, in those days, they didn't have a, you know, most of us shower most days. And if we had perfume on, the, that we would wash that off. But in those days, they didn't have that. And I'm, I'm sure that the, that the rich perfume of that pure nard would have lingered on Jesus. And I wonder, as he was in Gethsemane, as he sweated tears, sorry, as he, as he sweated blood, whether that perfume would have come, that he would have had that scent on him. An encouragement of somebody who loved him so much that she would give up everything for him. I wonder if that encouraged him in the garden of Gethsemane. I wonder if it encouraged him when he was lashed at the whipping post. I wonder if it encouraged him when he when he was nailed to the cross. That beautiful perfume that represented her love that he was worth more than anything. And you know the disciples were indignant. That word means that they were angry and annoyed of the injustice. They were cross with her. They were angry with her that she had wasted this perfume. And they were, it says the disciples, um, Judas voices this indignation because he's the keeper of the purse. He's probably the most upset about it. But it says the disciples were indignant. And, you know, if we're going to be true worshippers of Jesus, we will face criticism. When I first became a Christian and I was in the, in the church all the time, I told somebody from my old life and that I'd been, I was going to a church three times in, in a weekend or something, it was a special weekend. And they said to me, well, once, you know, go once on a Sunday for an hour. That's enough. <laughs> that's enough. If you've got to, then do that. That's enough. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on Jesus. There are other things to do, more important things to do. But beloved, there are not. There are not. He is worth everything. He is worth everything. And just as I was sitting there or standing there during the worship this morning, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, you know, Jesus, he's, he's strong and he's mighty and he's redeemed. He's, he's, seated in heavenly places and he's glorified but you know what he has to deal with all of the mess that this world is in all of the awful things that go on he has to know about them because the Lord knows all things he knows everything but may and so you know that that's just who he is and he can deal with it you know, he's the Lord. He can deal with it. But wouldn't it be lovely? Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if a perfume from, from Jane Cavana arose during all of that horror that he has to deal with? And he's there being blessed because, oh, Jane Cavana, she loves me. 
She loves me. May my perfume arise to him every day, day after day. Whatever I face, may my perfume and may your perfume arise to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Jesus' words to Mary or to, to Mary and to the disciples is she has done a beautiful thing for me. She has done a beautiful thing for me. You may think this is a waste. You may think it's of no, no consequence. You must, you may think she's crazy. But she's not. She has done a beautiful thing for me. And then I want to share my story of how the Lord called me back to being a Mary. And I've spoken a few times recently, and I may share a couple of things that I've already shared. And please forgive me, I haven't got short-term memory loss. I know that I've said these things before, or long-term memory loss, whichever. (laughs) But I, I need to say these things just to make it all make sense. So when I first became a Christian back in 20, the year 2000 it was, 2000, 22 years ago, I, I, I was at a very low point in my life. I was 32 years old and I'd made so many mistakes, so many bad decisions, lived in sin, serious sin. And um, so I'd just come back, I'd been living abroad came back sort of with with my tail between my legs. My parents took me in, very kind, very supportive of me, really good, helped me to get back on my feet. And I went to church. I'd been brought up in the Anglican church, and somehow I knew that I would find the answer to what I needed in church. And so I went to church, and I gave my life to Jesus. And at that point of brokenness and a place with no hope, a place where I was a, I was a functioning alcoholic, I was a smoker, I'd got all manner of sins in my, sin in my life. And I knew that I needed to be forgiven of all of my sins. I didn't come to Jesus because I thought he'd make my life better. Although he has in so many ways, but I came to Jesus because I was a sinner and he had died in my place. He had suffered in my place on the cross and I understood that. I understood that as I gave my life to him, I gained his life and not just now, but life in heaven forever with him in eternity Hallelujah. And I have that hope that I will be with him when I leave this life. And it's going to be glorious. It's going to be fantastic. But I came to that place of, I was so broken. And I gave my life to Jesus. And then, and I felt the Lord, I didn't want to share this with me, but I've said to the Lord, I'll say anything, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, and I'll say anything you want me to say. (laughs) So here we go. <laughs> um, so when I first became a Christian, I, I, I went to a, a charismatic Anglican church. It was a great church and it was a, a gentle, a gentle start, if you like. But I couldn't, I couldn't kick my sinful habits initially. And it took me two years. I was dedicated to Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't like I didn't it wasn't like I wanted to still drink and be, you know, and be a Christian. I just couldn't break it. Alcohol gripped me. Alcoholism gripped me. And um, and I was a, a smoker too. So I hated it. I hated it. I felt dirty when I came into the presence of God. I didn't like it at all. I didn't, it's not who I wanted to be. But I couldn't break free. So I, but I prayed I prayed and I asked Jesus, please will you set me free? Please will you set me free? But I had this thing like, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I am a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And I didn't feel like that. 
because I felt like I was still, the old life was still very much there. And then one Saturday night, um, I was, I was in, in the middle of the night, um, I woke up and I had an asthma attack, a really serious asthma, I developed asthma and I had a really serious asthma attack and I thought I was going to die, I was, you know, and I really, really thought I was going to die. So I got, got up the next morning, right, I'm going to try and, I, I, and I tried, tried and tried to stop smoking again and again and again. And um, I, I couldn't. So then that Sunday morning I got up and I said, right, I'm, this is it, I'm giving up smoking. And I went to church. And um, there was a, a Ugandan minister there that day who carried the fire of God. It was super anointed, he was. <laughs> African fire. <laughs> and um, he preached. I haven't got a clue what he preached on that day. But at the end of his message, he said, if you are in addiction, come forward. And I went forward. He was nowhere near me, probably about where Lance is sitting, away from me. He prayed, uh, and the fire of God came on me, and it was like I'd stuck my finger in an electric socket. The, the fire of God just went through me. I didn't fall over, but I just was shaking, and it was such a powerful encounter. And I believe the Lord said to me today that if you'll share that story, if you'll do do what I'm asking you to do, then that same fire that set you free that day, that Sunday, 20 years ago, will come into King's Church and set people free. And I believe that. I believe that that can happen today. That same fire, the same fire of the Holy Ghost is here today to set the captives free. And in a room this size, there will be people who are, who are captive to sinful habits. And you are here today. You know, Jesus doesn't condemn you. All of those, those two years, that I was struggling with my sin. Jesus welcomed me every Sunday. He didn't condemn me. He loved me. He welcomed me. And Jesus, if, even if you're struggling with sin today, he welcomes you and he loves you. And he wants, but he wants you to be free. He wants you to be free, but there will be all manner of addictions in a room this size. But we don't, you know, we keep them secret, don't we? We don't want to, we don't want to admit them. But we know that Jesus knows all things. And then just quickly, so and then six months after that, I was just reading a secular book about a, a girl that had an addiction to drugs. And, and so again, I've been pleading with the Lord, please, please set me free. Really asking him. And I just, and I read that book and there was a line in it that she, and she said, and I had this understanding that the next time I picked, I, oh, I took drugs, they were not going to make me happy. And just like that, I knew that the next time I picked up an alcoholic drink, it was not going to make me happy. And in that moment, the Lord set me free from alcoholism. And I've been living free and pure for 20 years now in his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Praise his name forevermore. The same God, the same God can do it today. He can. And then, so my story goes on. And, and as I share my story, your, your story is going to be different from my story, but I, I believe the Lord will bring parallels with you as I share. So then I came, I, I shared the other day, I was working with a lady and, uh, and she came to this church and I thought she was amazing, so I, I came to this church too. She was an amazing Christian. And um, so I came and I fell in love with this, this church and I became addicted to coming to this church. I swapped, swapped one addiction for another, thank God. <laughs> and Jane Whiteman, she, she was the treasurer at the time and she kind of forced me to become the treasurer as well. And so every Sunday after church, I'd be in the office with Peter counting the offering and we kind of came together. So Peter's now my husband. He was he was a pastor here before, and uh, so we fell in love with each other, and we got married in uh, twenty the end of two thousand and six. Um, and one lady came up to me once, and she said, "Oh, I see you went straight to the top." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I like to think it was God's plan. He brought us together. <laughs> um, and then, so shortly after we got married, a few months after, I was made redundant from the job that I had, which was, which is a whole nother story, which I'm not going to go into. And then after a few months, I started working at the church. And, um, and, um, yes, I worked with, with Peter. And I just got busier and busier. And so I made a little list of all the jobs that I had. So I first was, became the church administrator. And then, and I was a treasurer as well. And uh, then I'd noticed that some young people started coming into the church, and, and actually four of them are here today, so I'm so blessed that you're all here today for, for young people from my youth group back then. But yeah, we didn't have a youth group, and so I decided I'd better start a youth group. And then I started the Treasure Kids work here, and then we were, we were having an outreach. Uh, we, we had a debt collect, not a debt collecting, <laughs> a debt counselling <laughs> arm. <laughs> And so we started um, a, a ladies' group for them, which was a weekly group. That's now Aspire. Um, I was one of two worship leaders during that time. Um, I was a cleaner. We didn't have our uh, we didn't have our stewards that we have now. I ran a mother and toddler group. I took care of most pastoral care because mostly women wanted to come and talk about their problems. Um, I did the shopping. I was the gardener. I came to the weekly groups, and then we just topped it off. This structure wasn't here 10 years ago. We were all downstairs in the, in the old building. And so Peter and I, we took on the, the, um, the building project. And whilst that was going on, we met in diff- met all, the, all the groups that I was leading weekly, we met in other locations. And, you know, I know that other people have very, very busy lives, but, but I was a very busy woman during that time. But I loved it. I loved it. I felt fulfilled. I felt fruitful. And I really loved that season. So I'm not complaining. Not at all. I loved it. I loved it. Um, and then in 2014, Peter, my husband, got, was called to work in Mattersea, um, which is 100 miles up north. And we moved there, and um, um, we, left, we left the church, eight years, so that was eight years ago. And, you know, Peter, you know, he's, he's a funny man. And um, sometimes he says, uh, if, you know, if he's having a meal or he's just having a good time, he'll, he'll say, oh, this is the happiest I've ever been. <laughs> and uh, sometimes people are offended on my behalf. Because <laughs> they think you should say, oh, it was the happiest I've ever been when I got married. But anyway, I'm not offended. I know he's joking. <laughs> but when we moved to Mattersea and when he was teaching at the Bible College there, those first few years, he was the happiest he'd ever been. He really was. He was so fulfilled. And, and, and I was so happy for him. I really, truly was happy for him. But I knew, as soon as we got there, I knew that the Lord was speaking to me. And he was, he was saying to me that this was a season of pruning for me. And um, John 15, verse 2, we know this, John 15 is the, is the parable of the vine, and Jesus speaking, he says, that the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. And you know, we, know, we, know, we all know that, because we read John 15. It's, but, but until the pruning knife comes to you, they're just, they're just words on a page. But when they come alive, and the father gets out his pruning knife, and he cuts, and he cuts, and he cuts, and he cut away from me all of those fulfilling, fruitful jobs that I'd had. And I, and it was a really difficult season. It was a really painful season. I remember saying, saying to Peter once, I'm just a stump. <laughs> no branches, nothing, nothing's happening. But the Lord had called me to, to set up a, a, um, a chiropody business. And um, I haven't got time to go into all of those details, but it was, it was so clear. He spoke so clearly. That's the clearest he's ever spoken to me. And so I knew that that's what the Lord wanted me to do. But I wanted to be about the Lord's business because that's who I was. That's what I do. That's who I am. I serve Jesus. That's who I become. I serve him. So what can I do? What can my hands find to do? And... Um, so I decided, I know what I'm going to do. I didn't actually vocalize this. I don't think I even thought it through, like I'm telling you now. But I, what I did was, I, okay, I can go on missions trips. I can go on missions trips, get involved with a project overseas, 
And whilst I still, I still do my business in, in England, but that's why I can do it, go away every two or three months. Um, love, love people overseas, fundraise, you know, so I thought that was a great plan. And I went on eight different missions trips within 18 months. I was like a crazy woman. Everyone was going, what? I remember people saying to Peter, what, she's going again? <laughs> like there was something wrong with me, and maybe there was something wrong with me. Um, but no, you know, people were happy to receive me. I had uh, wonderful times, but there was no door opening, no connections happening. And again, that was quite painful for me, because I thought that's what would happen. And then in 2016, I'd just come back from a missions trip to India, which had been a, a, an amazing experience in Delhi. And um, then, so I then got back, back to work. I was working in Cambridge. I had two. I was working in Cambridge and locally, locally to us then. So I was staying with my parents. And uh, Peter had gone to. Peter was up north, and he'd gone to a midweek meeting in uh, in uh, in the in the Rotherham area, and um, and he'd been so moved by the message that he heard that night. He called me the next day, and he said, "I've just got to share this with you." It was like it was burning in him, and he knew that I had to hear it. And it was a message from First um, Samuel and the first chapter which is the story of how Samuel came to, came to be born. And the story is that there was a man called Elkanah, and he had two wives. One was called Hannah, who became the mother of Samuel, and the other one was called Penina. And Hannah was barren. It says the Lord had closed Hannah's womb in verse 6. But Penina kept having children. Penina was very fruitful. And, and, but Hannah was barren. And, it, you know, the pain of not being able to have children is horrible for a woman. And in those days, it was considered to be a disgrace. So here's Hannah. And the text says, year after year, so it was just this, verse 7, this went on year after year. And her rival, so Penina, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. So there's poor Hannah, not only having the pain of her own barrenness, but somebody else who's got what she wants. And she's not just got what she wants, but she's she's rubbing her nose in it. You know, she's making it more and more difficult for her, for Hannah. And so the story goes on, um, that her husband, Elkanah, comes to Hannah. And you know, sometimes they, they came together and they had to have a difficult conversation. And I just felt as I was preparing this again this morning that, that, so I will go back to this story, but I just felt by the Spirit of God that, that perhaps there's some, somebody here or some people here, and you've got a difficult conversation that you need to have with somebody close to you. And you don't want to have that conversation. But I just felt the Spirit of the Lord say, be, be brave, be bold, and have that conversation, and all will go well with you. He'll be with you when you have that conversation. Anyway, so Elkanah, she, he comes to Hannah, And these are the words that he says to her. He says, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And the Lord spoke to me so powerfully out of this passage. And he's going to speak to many of you today. He said to me, don't I mean everything to you? Aren't I enough for you? Where's that girl that fell in love with me? And she only had eyes for me. Where is she? I want her back. I had my eyes on missions trips. I had my eyes on serving him. I'd morphed into a Martha without even knowing it. And none of the things that I'd done had been sinful. 
they'd all been good, they'd been serving Jesus, but somehow I had left my first love. And there, as, I, as Peter was on, this is all Peter's on the phone telling me this message. And the Lord took me to Revelation 2. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. That might sound a bit harsh. But I, and it hurt. There there were two or three times in my, in the last 22 years that the Lord has rebuked me. And this is one of them. But I needed it. I needed it. I needed to hear these words. And it was all done in love. He wanted me back. He wanted that purity of that connection, that love that we'd had at first. And so he told me no more mission trips. And he called me to his feet. And that's where I've been for the last six years. At his feet. And I'd like to tell you that I've been happy there. I've been content there. And there are times that that's what I do. But I'm always waiting for the next thing, if I'm honest with you. I'm always waiting. When's the door going to open, Lord? But like Mary... I have to say, and I have to keep coming back to that point, if I have no future serving you, you're worth me spending everything and me, in inverted commas, wasting my life on you. He is worth it. And I have to remember that the kingdom is countercultural. And it's so hard. I don't think we can ever do that. Really. I don't think we can ever really truly break out of that because it's so ingrained in us. And so we have to remind ourselves, we have to encourage ourselves with this kind of message again and again and again. I can, I can hear this kind of message again and again and I go, oh yes. Even though I've been in that season of him being enough. Of him being enough. So I, I don't, so when I say I, I, I sit, I have been at his feet. I have been at his feet. But that doesn't mean I spend all my time just on my knees at Jesus' feet. We all have to find what works for us. How can we connect with him? How could, so I walk. I walk and I spend my time with Jesus. So I'm not literally at his feet. But I spend hours with him, walking and talking and worshipping and loving him. But I have to make sure that I do that. I could, you know, I can say that I do that, but can I? Do I actually make that heart connection with him all of the time? Is what I do truly? Am I just listening to YouTube and saying that I'm being spiritual, or am I really? Breaking my alabaster, my alabaster jar, pure nard over him. And is my worship and is my life truly pouring expensive perfume over Jesus? So on, on my walk, I go um, past this piece, it's a private piece of land. And it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. It's, there's a lake there. There's grass. There are geese on it. And there are lilies on the lake. There's an island in the middle of it. And sometimes I look at it. Sometimes I just ignore it. But I was walking past it this week. And I felt the Holy Spirit ask me a question. And he said, wouldn't it be amazing if you could experience Wouldn't that scene be so much more amazing if you could experience it? If you could get through the gate and if you could feel the the grass under your feet? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could go and dangle your 
your feet in the water. It'd be amazing if you were just walking there and the geese geese came and chased you. (laughs) Isn't that what geese do? And I felt that the Lord wants to give us all a fresh invitation. We know this story of Mary of Bethany. But he wants us to experience what it was like for her to be with Jesus. And we can experience what it's like to be with Jesus. If we'll go into the story, if we'll, if we'll take time to become there, ask Jesus, can I sit at your feet? Can I look at you? Can I gaze upon you? Will you give me the strength not to look away from you? Not to be distracted by my, by criticism, not to be extra- distracted by myself. You know, even ourselves will say, this is, this is a waste. Our flesh will cry out. This is a waste of time. I've got so many other things to do. There'll be good things to do. But they're not what Jesus wants from you. He wants Mary's. He wants us to be a Mary. And this, this message, I know I'm a woman and I know that this is a, these are scriptures about a woman, but this invitation is not just for the women. This invitation is for the men as well. He wants you also to be at his feet. He wants you to be with him. And so I want to invite you also to go off the normal path. If I want to go into that field with the lake, I have to go off the normal path. And I have to have permission, actually, from the landowner because it's private. But the Lord is giving us permission. He's inviting us in. He's opening the gate today, inviting us in. Come and be a Mary. Come and be a Mary. And I want to, I want to give you this challenge this week. When you come and when you're with Jesus, be Mary. Just listen to him. Don't say a word. I know we like to speak. I know we're used to speaking, but zip, zip. Zip it. <laughs> don't, don't speak. Just gaze upon him. Put some quiet music on. Go for a walk, but this is your time. This is, I want to look at you. I want to gaze upon you. I want to love you because you're worth it. And, and, and I want you to also hear the words that Jesus spoke to Mary. As you're doing that, he's going to say these words to you. If you'll tune in, if you'll tune everything out and tune into him, he'll say, this is the one thing that I wanted from you and you're doing it. The one thing that is needed and you are doing it and what you're doing will not be taken from you. It is registered in heaven. It is registered in heaven. And then on another occasion when you come to him and you're Mary and you're with him, and you're not saying anything, you know, we don't need, the scriptures say he knows what we need. He knows. Sometimes, yes, we need to intercede, but, but sometimes we just need, need to be quiet. And these other words will come to you. What you are doing for me is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So will you stand with me? And with the worship team, come back. Please. So I have a daughter. She's 30 now. And uh, I love her with all my heart. And she calls me most days. We have a great relationship now. Teenage years were a bit tricky. (laughs) But now we have a great relationship. But I know that when she calls me, within a, a millisecond... I know she want, if she needs something from me, or I know she's just ringing me just to hang out, just to be together, just to have a laugh. And you know, the reaction in me is so different. You know, if she wants something, oh, it's a bit, what is it? Can I do it? And I know God can do anything, but, but if she just wants to be, oh, I'm so blessed, so lovely, just, if she just wants to be with me. And you know, all over the world today, as the Lord, it's the Lord's day. And so especially today, there'll be people coming to the Lord and they'll be asking him for things. 
We all need things. And I'm not saying it's wrong to ask the Lord for things. Of course, we need to ask him for things. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. So we do need to ask. But I just want to encourage you, start a season where all you want is him. Where, you know, in in the mix of prayers going up today all over the world, may this house, may from this house, may Jesus be amazed. And from this house, may it just be the sweet smell of adoration, the sweet smell of, oh, I just want you. You are enough for me. And whatever is in the future, whatever comes, whatever may befall, it is well with my soul. It is well because I have you, because all of my sins have been cancelled by the cross because of what you did, Jesus, because of your great love for me. Because you adored me, I adore you now. And so we're going to sing a song now. We're going to bless the Lord. We're going to let the the wonderful perfume of adoration arise. And I pray that you, this in this season, will will become a Mary and and become like Mary, who you know she never preached a message. She never prayed for the sick. She never cast out a demon. She didn't raise anyone from the dead. But this woman, Jesus thought so highly of her. He said amazing words about her. He didn't say those kind of words about anybody else in the New Testament. But but she stole his heart. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.